Hello and welcome to ExperienceCast from the QOE, where we bring you insights about customer and employee experience to offer new perspectives on organisational performance. In this week's episode, we're going to look at some of the tensions that employee experience is posing for employers. And to help me explore this topic, I'm very pleased to be joined today by Philip Hirons, who's a Divisional Director at events company IQPC. And he's joined us today because in this role he has a valuable perspective on how lots of different organisations are approaching employee experience. And I'm also very pleased to be joined today by Carl Lyon, the QOE's executive coach and author of Perpetual Experience. Gentlemen, a very warm welcome to you both today. And to you. Good afternoon. All right, so Phil, firstly, thank you for joining us today. And obviously I, I put you on the spot slightly by uh, <laughs> inviting you onto the podcast. This this um, came out of a, an email exchange where I was asking you about some of the, the, um, the insights that you've got into how companies are approaching employee experience. And so you, and you very kindly consolidated your thoughts into an article for the QOE blog, which we'll be making available uh, alongside this podcast, about some of the tensions that employee experience presents with businesses. Now, you, you started in your article by stating that there's, there appears to be some growing tensions in employee experience from what you, what you called a socioeconomic standpoint around sort of what we should and shouldn't be doing. Can you perhaps start by expanding a little bit on what you mean by this? Yeah, of course. I think the, and when I, be careful when I say words like issues because it creates more of a problem perhaps is actually out there. I think one of the big issues is the fact that what, what is being done and the proactivity that goes around people creating these employee experience initiatives are obviously not completely fit for purpose. Not everyone is going to warm to them. I think that therein lies a difficulty in that you're almost kind of having to create a utilitarian concept where you're doing things for the greater good but actually might offend or put out a lot of other people through no fault of your own not through any sort of derogatory actions but it does cause difficulty when you can't appeal to absolutely everybody that's interesting carl what are your thoughts on that how are we how are we getting to this point now where we're starting to um have to almost start to personalize employee experience what are some of the tensions around this can we personalize it how do how should we be starting to think about that yeah, this is a really uh, good observation, uh, Phil. Um, we discussed this at the last QOE meeting. We were, we were talking about the role of employee experience. And if you follow the uh, maturity of customer experience, you get to a point where the customer experience is personalised to each customer um, to a greater or lesser extent. And I really uh, think there is a potential banana skin for employee experience if we make it about only some people. When in truth, the issues are for all employees at whatever level, position, function, um, nationality, culture. Um, it's all about those employees. And if it's best, employee experience is looking at uh, the effort and the, uh, the amount of commitment that employees need to do their role. And can we minimize that? Can we reduce it? Um, and then the issues become uh, apparent to all different levels. Especially if you talk about something like uh, wellness, uh, mental health, those sort of issues, then they are just as um, uh, relevant for anyone in the in the organisation. But I do agree with what Phil says. It's a very it's how you position it, how you talk about it, because it's not um, these subjects are not ones that everybody will find easy to engage with. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, and sort of following on from that, um, Phil, you mentioned this idea of scale, this, you know, this tension between global versus local 
Mm. And you highlighted some of the challenges of scale in relation to employee experience. And you, you suggested that leaders or, or leadership teams could perhaps benefit from some kind of flexible framework to guide investment in employee experience. Can you perhaps expand a little bit on what you mean by, by this uh, flexible framework and how might that help in sort of guide investment in this area? Well, I think that the whole flexible framework side of things comes off the fact that we, we simply can't be that rigid. Um, as I sort of mentioned in that, that email correspondence earlier, it was more a question of certain smaller businesses or, the, or sort of local offices, if we don't just sort of say it's about a sort of a smaller or medium-sized enterprise, are going to have the benefit of being able to be more culturally aware because it's something that's closer to home or local to them. Whereas if it's a, a global initiative that's simply being rolled out across the world, naturally, again, people may well be put out. Uh, and again, if, if we look at potential legal implications for certain things, um, I think one of the things that I looked at was certain initiatives uh, or incentives, I should say. And I, I can think about sort of things that we've done previously in the office where it might simply be that if we hit certain targets or an event goes particularly well, we might end up going out for dinner and drinks together. Now, that's absolutely fine. But if you were doing that as a mixed office, say, in the Middle East, we wouldn't necessarily be able to drink, for example. We may not even be allowed to sit at the same table because there are cultural things that we need to take into account. So for some of these global businesses to roll out something that is specifically designed for employees, and we are trying to get it sort of an individualistic type basis, it's just not possible. Um, So with that sort of flexible framework, it's putting things in place that will allow people to flourish, uh, but also take into consideration that we are all individuals, we are all different, we have certain triggers that other people might think are irrelevant but you know it's a personal thing that might be something that's particularly important to you thanks for yes it's a really good point about following on this point about personalization and carl what are your thoughts on that around how how do you start to tackle this idea of of global versus local and focusing on the needs of individuals around employee experience is that possible or to what extent is that possible when you're dealing with a, a really you know organizations of any sort of significant size really so yes it is possible and i think um To do it, we need to separate out some things. So personalizing reward, um, be that, um, as Phil was talking about, going for a meal, um, sharing social time together, um, that needs to be personalized in the location. Um, You're absolutely spot on, Phil. That needs to be done, and that needs to be done with sensitivity, um, but also needs to be done with knowledge. The other side of employee experience is what we ask employees to do and their job role, the the technology they use, um, the processes they have to follow. Now, if you've got a process that is really clunky and difficult and frustrating for an employee, improving that will have a knock-on effect on those employees, whichever country in the world they're working. So we're currently um, working with some people in a group function for a telco. And this is the approach they're having to take, and it's really fascinating to see how they, how they do it. So it becomes something which is, when you go out to a region, it's advice and it's promoting, if you like, the employee experience and how you, how you can personalise it. But then when you get to the other side of it and you're thinking about um, your technologies and your, the way you do things, the work you ask people to do, how you ask them, um, that I think can be something we can tackle from uh, from a group perspective, and that that leads nicely onto this the the, the, well, the next things in your article, Phil, which is around expectations, and you call it when to say yes and when to say no. 
yeah like this, this issue of expectations in relation to employee experience be lovely um, if you could say yes to everything yeah exactly yeah that's right and this, this idea that you know uh, actually in terms of uh, talent and attracting and retaining talent um, employee experience is starting to play quite a significant role in that. But how do you, how can businesses tackle this problem of ex- escalating expectations when we know that employees are, are going to compare the experience of, of working in different businesses? It's true, and it's quite topical, isn't it? If you look at what companies are doing at the minute, whether it's public sector or private sector, and there, I know we're going to have to use the, the horrible C word of coronavirus at some point during the podcast, but it is probably more prevalent now in terms of what companies are and aren't able to do. So I think going back to the initial question and what I sort of put together previously, I think, you know, there are some companies, and, and my company is exactly the same. Uh, I won't speak for everybody, but, you know, we, we can't offer free things here, there, and everywhere. You know, we'll do sort of free fruit on most days because we kind of want to be healthy-minded and, and conscious of nutrition and well-being and all those sorts of things. But we don't have the facilities to put together an entirely free cafeteria that uh, some of them are larger tech companies uh, can put together. But on the same basis, you know, we're not working for a huge conglomerate and, you know, our voices, I wouldn't say matter anymore or any less, but we're certainly heard perhaps a little bit more. It's easier to get your point across. The whole sort of open door system of management is absolutely there. Um, but again, with those companies that are perhaps born out of Silicon Valley that are almost kind of founded if you like, on certain foundations of employee culture and well-being and you know mindfulness, if you like, we simply can't all get round to this way of working. And Carl and I have worked together for years. We've talked about a customer experience and the issue you get with legacy systems. And I think you'll see that to an extent with employee experience in that there are certain legacies put in place, whether that was done from a, a different time frame, from a different mindset, you know, even potentially how that business was positioned previously, that we're not we can't, we can't move that quickly we can't simply turn around and go well let's scrap everything we've ever known everything we've ever done simply because we think that's the right thing to do but this whole war on talent we do have to be very very considerate that the new people coming through and i won't sort of let's not do it by age when we talk about things like you know generation x because you're baby boomers gen x millennials gen z let's not define them necessarily by age but certainly we can define them by sort of that that sort of um, stereotype almost if you like but their expectations are different and if you want to bring the best people on you have to be mindful that they're going to have different things that motivate and inspire them to work for any particular company so if those things aren't in place you have to accept that you probably won't get that sort of depth in talent if you like carl what, what are your thoughts on that around expectations and and following on from what phil said around how, how do we tackle this this issue of expectations around employee experience well, first of all, the, um, we're talking about the right things. Um, just as with uh, customer experience um, uh, that we were talking about 10 years ago, uh, Phil, um, we were tackling these issues. Well, they're the same issues, um, uh, just that we're now talking about employee experience. So there is a blueprint there. There is um, a way of doing things that, that we can follow. So I think employee experience will progress quicker than um, the customer experience because we have that to follow. So we can, um, this increasing expectations um, uh, is something we know about in customer experience. Um, what can happen is that those expectations are actually built around the tangibles. Um, there's a company that gives away, has a chocolate Friday, I think. Phil has a fruit, uh, a fruit Wednesday, which I, I've got to applaud. That's so much better than the chocolate. Well, I, I don't know about that, actually. It depends. 
I, I, I could definitely I, be up for a bit of chocolate every now and then. I applaud the ambition. I didn't say I applaud the, the delivery. Um, <laughs> so I think you know these things will progress, and then you have companies that are really talking about the psychology of working for that organisation. Just last week, we were talking to a company that had the perennial problem that their call centre staff migrated round the different call centres in their vicinity. Um, that was a really difficult situation because one of the call centres was suddenly up their rates and they get a migration. So potentially, employee experience is a way of battling that. But that's not just about Chocolate Fridays. That's about how you're treated, the respect, the way a company is managed, the way what people are asked to do, how they're asked to do it, the technologies. And as Phil just said, the expectation around technology now, especially in the call centre world, um, is huge because people are just growing up with a different way of doing things. If you suddenly put them with old steam-driven technology, then you're in trouble. Yeah, it's interesting. And Phil, you mentioned coronavirus, which is impossible to ignore at the moment. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, but it's, it's fine because it, it really throws up this interesting issue of um, the, the, the tangible versus the intangible in terms of employee experience. And it's obviously very easy to look at employee experience in terms of physical workplace and you know what what the conditions are like what we can do in the office when we can see people but when when you're no longer in the office and you're still working for the company actually removing the physical environment lays lays bare a lot of the other aspects that contribute to employee experience in terms of what Carl was saying sort of respect and how you're treated and what are some of the other things that removing the physical environment um, enables us to see in terms of employee experience do you think? I think I think the big thing for us is going to be how it affects teamwork and morale to be completely honest because we're quite lucky in that it's an open plan office if there is any particular issue or problem you can grab five minutes go and grab a coffee speak to people sort of face to face and when it comes to that communication element I always think face to face is so much better you know if you do things on the phone you remove the expression if you do things via email it's almost completely depersonalized and impersonalized, depersonalized, whichever that is, um, it, you, you eradicate certain issues that otherwise would potentially come up. So for us, yes, it's events, but the vast majority of what we do is project and campaign management based. So removing that physical environment, given that we don't yet have a huge amount of technology to support that, we're going to have to kind of learn as we go, is going to cause issues. It will. Now, how those manifest, you know, ask me in a couple of weeks' time, because I'm not sure at this point. Um, you know, I think we've been pretty well versed and pretty well briefed by leadership. And I do think the leadership and communication kind of go hand in hand. But there is an element of the unknown that we are literally going to come into. And I think, you know, you could argue that case for a lot of employee experience things. As Carl said, the blueprint by that CX has kind of laid out, I completely agree. But there are still unknown factors and unknown quantities. And it's moments like this where it suddenly highlights certain perhaps gaps in IT or infrastructure or skill set that... We're just going to have to adjust to. And one of the nice things, I think it does tie into the employee experience side, is this kind of, at least within the business community, certainly from our perspective, we've been able to be quite agile and react quite quickly. And the feedback we're getting from our attendees, our clients, our sponsors, the people that are involved with us in this journey has been overwhelmingly positive because we're all in the same boat. And I think if you take a company, very often the things that any individual business is going through on a very sort of personal to them basis you very often see the same sort of mindset is that everyone's together, everyone's pulling the same way. And, you know, if there is adversity, we have to find a way to go to get through it. So, yeah, I mean, still ask me in a couple of weeks when it comes to the IT infrastructure piece, but I think everything else stands reasonably well. 
but, but I think I think Phil, um, you've got everything going for you uh, and your company in a lot of ways. Apart from Chocolate Friday. Apart from Chocolate Friday, um, it's because you're a naturally collaborative person, and you're a person that finds it um, uh, fairly easy, uh, or certainly seems to move towards solving problems. And that makes you an ideal person in this scenario. And what we're seeing is lots of people that have that ability um, are curious, they're problem solvers, um, they, they're thinking about other people, they're conscious of other people's feelings, they can interpret other people. Um, they're going to come to the fore during this period of crisis. Um, the challenge will be the people that are not instinctively that way um, and that is, if you like, the, the soft underbelly of a lot of organisations. I'm talking to um, huge amounts of people at the moment, and we, we had a, a, a big discussion on LinkedIn the other day, and somebody said that we're not the problem, and they were absolutely right. right. We're on LinkedIn, we're engaging with other people, we're exploring what can be done, and that's a positive thing, but that's not the problem. The, the issues are going to be around people that are not, are not used to doing that. Um, I'm not characterizing any different functions or companies. We all have those people within our organizations and they're going to be the ones that are going to struggle. And they're going to, be, if they're not careful, they're going to become isolated. So it's down to good managers, people like you, Phil, that can spot not the people that are enjoying it and are working great. It's spotting the ones that are struggling with it a bit more day to day. Um, yeah, perhaps. And I think it's, I think it's clear to say that those people don't necessarily sit anywhere or like you say in any particular function very often they can be the people right at the top of the tree it's just a question of having to deal with it and recognizing individuals pretty quickly that actually for that individual empathy is going to work like i'm in the same position as you i understand what you're going through i don't like it but this is how we can get through it together and i think you know you also need some of those personalities at times like this those that might point more towards the the analytical data, well, you know, what's happened previously in these sort of crises so that we can get past it. And there are going to be certain times when you absolutely rely on them. So it's, it's just a tricky situation that we're faced with. It, it, you're spot on, Phil, because, you know, we need the data analysts at the moment. Um, we need them hugely. Um, otherwise, we're going in our own gut reaction and, and emotions are very strong. Um, and when people go online, um, some of those things, well, first of all, crisis, from what we know, psychology can make us um, bring out some traits in ourselves that are not usually there. Um, some men can get fairly dominant and aggressive. Um, some men fall back into the analytics. Um, and when you get on this, when you get in these crises, it's difficult enough. But when you go online, then your persona changes as well. So I've got a question for you, Tony. Um, you've been working in education online now for a long time. How do you see people and how do they change when they go to the virtual environment? Yeah, it is an interesting one, Carl. Um, it's, in, it's, in some ways, it's, it's the same. In some ways, it's different. It's almost removing that physical environment, as we were saying earlier, um, gets you to focus on different things. I think, And I think it is important to be mindful of uh, what you can achieve at a distance versus what you, you can achieve face-to-face, -to, -face, to, to, to Phil's point earlier. Um, and just having, having those conversations, being transparent about that, I think we need to be very mindful about how people engage online and what you need for effective online engagement and also how context specific that is and how generationally specific that is uh, in terms of expectations. So, yeah, from my experience, I mean, you can structure a very effective 
online learning discussion uh, collaborative experience as long as you are all trying to be on the same page around the limitations of the technology what activities what discussions uh, work well in that situation and also how you engage people at a distance and for me it's very easy to, to drift off when you're just looking at your screen because your screen is effectively the whole room so just basic stuff like using questions you know really using questions to engage people and um, to find out what they uh, need or what's what's bothering them it's it's how you involve people in that discussion at a distance and it really does help to keep people engaged when when they're working at a distance just just on that just I, i'm going to just sort of put it into the group as well where do we sit with things like because we've used lots of positive words there and teamwork and collaboration engagement where do we sit with the uh, arguably more difficult things when it comes to transparency because there are certain things that i know that i am willing to share with everybody probably things that i occasionally shouldn't share but i feel they need to know versus the sort of more difficult conversations where it really becomes okay if they don't need to know don't tell them at this point because it could potentially disrupt the apple cart but where do we sit with that do we think okay so um that's a that's a that's a top ten question, Phil. It's not a top five question for employee experience. We're rattling through the problems um, uh, like a rate of knots here. This is fantastic. So um, yes, lots of lots of situations around transparency are are, are tricky. Um, I think the rule of thumb is if you're keeping something from people, that's wrong. If the knowledge that you have needs further refinement or needs um, interpretation, then that's not wrong. And what I mean by that is um, there's no good putting out um, the basic um, financial information on British Airways at the moment to, the, to all the staff. Because yeah. if they wouldn't, what, what are they going to do with that? Right? They, they've got no, <clears throat> they can't, they, there's no way they can interpret that. But putting out, I think as they already have done, that they're going to have to let people um, uh, sort of, I don't know how they're phrasing it, but people are not going to work and they're not going to be paid for six weeks, whatever it is. So that's that's doing the right thing, and that's that's being transparent with people. It's when it's when you know, or the company, if they can feel it, if if they're able to, think, Do you know, what? I'm keeping this from people. Yeah, that's, I think that's the difference. If if, that, if that, that's my thoughts on it, if, that, if it helps. Interesting, we had a conversation with Jonathan Can uh, on, on the last episode of the podcast who works for a virtual organisation and he had some really interesting points around, I suppose, the more the more personal aspects of what do you share, what do you not share? And he said, you know, it's, it's different when you're in a virtual organisation. You don't have that sort of small chit-chat that you get in an office, but you can create space for it. So for those people who do want to share and share more about what they did at the weekend, you can create channels on uh, on Slack or on your instant messaging tool. You can have some people having you know a video conferencing room open just so people can go and talk about that kind of stuff. Um, so th there are ways in which you can almost sort of replicate it for those people who who do want to be more converse, conversive, more collaborative. Um, but I guess it, it comes down to really understanding what each employee needs and a little bit about their personality. Are they, if they're not engaging online, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not working. It just might mean that they're not particularly comfortable with, with certain channels or certain technologies or that they're a little bit introverted uh, and that's fine. So we, I think we, it, it's increasingly important that we acknowledge um, people's individual differences uh, around their expectations of how they approach their work, I think. Yeah, and I think that rebounds back up to the to uh, <clears throat> organisations um, where if there's a distrust at a personal level or a, a worry about um, um, 
people keeping things from people um, on a personal level, then that reflects on the whole company. So someone like you, Phil, um, and I think you said probably shares a bit more than perhaps they should sometimes, that's going to stand you in massively good stead in this situation, okay? Because your, your trust credit with people is really high. So they're going to trust you. They're going to, you're going to be one of the people they, they, they look to. Um, other people in organizations who have been dishonest or one of the things that, that happens is people tell little stories about other people. They're, they're a bit, they, they tend to t say things behind people's back. What it actually does to the person they're talking to is they start, well, they talk to me about like that. So all these little interactions between people, as Tony said, builds to a picture um, that can we trust this company or not? Um, and in, in this, you could argue there's lots of things that are in crisis at the moment, stock exchange and all sorts of things. Well, employee experience is in crisis as well. Um, I had a message the other day was from somebody who said, well, how am I going to, um, I might not want to get these people back into the office uh, when this all blows over. And my reply was, um, they may not want to come back. Right? Because of the way you're treating them now, you're making a huge assumption here um, that they're going out and coming back. And that's an interesting one because I can see, as we all could, how they're, how they're treating people, that basic trust, Bill, that you were talking about. Mm. And it's also interesting that you raise the question because people that raise the question are probably not the people who are going to get it wrong because you're conscious of it. So just to, just to round this off then, Phil, to the last point in your article, you mentioned the, what you call the best versus worst and this idea that it's easier for some of the iconic brands, you know, the Silicon Valleys, to be pioneers in this area of employee experience because they've got the budget and the resources, but it's a lot, and they're often more visible, but it's a lot more difficult for those people in the middle who are dealing with some of these issues that you've mentioned, you know, legacy systems, uh, limited budgets, diverse workforces. So if you're trying to build a business case uh, for to try and convince senior leaders about the value of investing in employee experience, where, where would you start? What are some of the things that you would be looking to do? Yeah, it, it is a tricky one. I mean, I'm quite lucky where I am now because it is very much forefront of the leadership teams here. It really is. Um, I think we do a lot of work when it comes to sort of personality profiling, for example, um, not to use in terms of are we hiring certain people because we have a lack of people that might be, I don't know, extroverted um, and amiable, for example. We, we don't necessarily look at like that. But I do think sometimes that's quite a good way to look. But I think it's more the fact that we are looking at this to try and help encourage people to play to their strengths, knowing that you know, we've, we've got the talent pool in which to do it. But also, when we sort of say this war on talent, we base that on people's prior records we don't, or potentially experience, not their actual potential or capabilities, which at that point may yet still be unlocked. The blueprint in which to do it, you're definitely asking the wrong person there, unfortunately. Um, but I think, you know, we have to take everything into account. So if you are a smaller business that has limited budgets, control the controllables, like make the changes that you can make, whether that is a argument's sake, the fruits or the chocolate on a Friday or whatever that looks like, whatever is going to be a nice token gesture to let the employees know that they matter and they absolutely do and it should go without saying but you know we're very quick to forget sometimes that a lot of people we, we work because we need the money at the end of the day you know it's great if you go somewhere that you love and you thrive and you develop but it's not going to happen for everyone so the more you can do these sort of more smaller intricate details and i think sometimes it really is the small things that count that show people again you're invested in them and invest in their well-being 
these are the sort of things we can do. If you do have more budget, if you are able to stretch the resources, if you are able to get that sort of buy-in from sort of middle management upwards, then fantastic. Look at other things that, that you know your employees want. But again, you know, it comes back down to how much should we be asking the employees what does matter to them? Because we'll make sweeping assumptions that everyone just wants a bigger salary, everyone wants bigger bonuses, everyone wants to get longer holiday periods. But do they? If people aren't in a position where they can afford to take wonderfully long and exotic holiday breaks, why would they want longer holidays? Why would they want more time off? You know, is it sort of things that invest in professional development? I know from my own team that two or three of them have already said, what can I do when it comes to sort of potential project management qualifications? And all right, I look at that now and go, now's probably not the time to ask, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But actually, long term, I think that's fantastic because it shows they care. And I think, what was it? It was um, Ford who turned around and sort of said, the value of not investing is to be greatly outweighed the value of leaving them to go. So I, I certainly butchered that quote up. I know I have. But either way, I think we should be asking the question, what matters most? And I think that needs to come from sort of team leaders and that being fed up because I'm not always convinced that everybody in the organization knows. And I'm as guilty as anyone that I will look at certain people and go, okay, you've talked about money. You must therefore be really money motivated. And these are the things that are going to incentivize or appeal to you. And, And that's not always the case. So where we can ask questions, I appreciate that doesn't always not always in a position to do that, but I do think it's important as a starting point where possible. Thanks, Phil. That's really interesting. You mentioned focusing on the small things, and that's something that came up at our recent QOE discussion around, you know, the, the importance of focusing on the little things. Doesn't necessarily mean that the big things all take care of themselves, but it does suggest that there is a, you know, a need to focus on those small things. And also this idea of, of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is something that came up as well. This idea that, yes, some people are money motivated, and that's great, but not everyone is. And actually money only motivates you to a certain point. So, Carl, in terms of if you were to look at building a business case around this to try and convince uh, a leadership team or senior leaders around the value of investing in this, what are some of the key levers that you should be looking to pull? There's an awful lot in there. Um, I think companies that have a lot of legacy systems also have a huge amount of opportunity. I think some of the companies that the brand is all about experience uh, just have very high expectations. So I think there's a huge opportunity here for a lot of companies. Um, what I think we need to do with um, custom uh, employee experience um, is look at what the company wants. So one part of the equation is right, what do the employees want? The other part of the equation, what does the company want? So what, what can we improve by deploying employee experience? So some companies, we've worked with some companies that have found issues that have been there for quite some time. Let's let's take a global one like um, uh, call centres and self-service technologies. Um, for years, they've been trying to migrate customers into uh, using self-service. One of the things that uh, doesn't allow it to happen is the behaviours around the call centre, um, and because it's self-perpetuating for the call centre. So we need to find ways of using employee experience to tackle that big issue. If we can use employee experience to make um, the behavior different within those call centers, you will suddenly crack a big problem that companies have invested thousands, if not millions of pounds to try and uh, put right. So I think I wouldn't be frightened of looking at some of these things that the companies have always found difficult to fix. 
think about, okay, well, what can we do from the employee side? What are the employee behaviours that we would like to be different that are going to help that succeed? Then you're in a really interesting place because, as Phil's right, you can then look at the, um, the employees and what are their needs, and if you can match the two up, and, and quite honestly, around uh, digitalization and automation, um, some of those things, the, the needs are aligned. Um, you then need to find a way of making that happen. And what's interesting about behavioral change is you look at the existing behavior first, but then you look at agents to make it change. But the employees will only change that new behavior, just like customers, if it's easier for them, or if there's less effort, or it's, it's um, uh, fun to do, or it's engaging, or it, it makes me feel better about myself. If you can get some of those things going, then you will get employees, you won't get them to do something, they'll willingly do something different. So I think you can do an ROI as long as you identify what it is you're trying to change. If you try and do it globally, like the culture programs, quite often we know we need to do culture, but we don't see the return on investment because we're not being focused on what we need to try and do. Fantastic. There's some great points in there. For, thank you, Carl. Thank you, Phil, for, for sharing your thoughts on that topic. I think there's a, there's a lot in there to take away around pragmatic approaches to, to developing employee experience. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. A huge thank you to my guests, Philip Hirons and Carl Lyon, for their help in tackling this topic of the tensions facing employers with employee experience. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Experience Cast. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do at the QOE, just visit thequeerwe.com where you can find more details about our coaching, short courses, workshops, online discussions and other ways that we can support you in your work. And don't forget that we debate your questions on ExperienceCast, so if you have a question you'd like us to explore, please just send it to us by going to thequeerwe.com and clicking on Ask Us a Question. Thanks and enjoy the rest of your day.